Ave Maria, and welcome to Divine Poetry, a series that explores the chronological parallels between the history of the Catholic Church and the Old Testament. If you're new to this concept, go back and watch my interview with Kevin Davis. The link is in the video description below. To make things more simple, I have divided up church history and the Old Testament into eight color-coded time periods. Below you can see a scrolling bar with the names, dates, and the Old Testament books for each period. Use this timeline to guide you in each video. The color frame of each video will match the time period that we're discussing. Now, let's start today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Divine Poetry. So today we're going to talk about the Lateran Treaty of 1929 and how it seems to be prefigured by the Decree of Cyrus in the books of Esdras in the Old Testament. Before we start, though, I want to say that my book is, I'm done writing it. I'm very excited about it. It's just in the editing process right now, and small tweaks are being made. The cover art has to be perfected and a lot of little stuff. We hope to have it done in March. So let's get into the topic here. Um, to set the foundation for these parallels, I want to go back in time on the chart of parallels and establish the continuity of these. Um, again, they, it's a seamless fabric of, of prefigurement in between the Old Testament and church history from start to finish. And um, I want to establish what happens before the Lateran Treaty and the Decree of Cyrus and what happens after the Decree of Cyrus and the Lateran Treaty because it happens both, both sets of events in Old, Old Testament history and church history they parallel the whole way through. So going back to our last video, we did Martin Luther as he was prefigured by Jeroboam, and that's the, the green time period of separation and revolt. Okay, uh, And to see that video, there's a link in the description section of the video, this video below. Um, the next major time period is called invasion and exile. And in the Old Testament, that's where King Nabucodonosor comes with the Babylonians in two, two separate waves. He, he comes in 597, and he subjugates and makes a vassal state out of, of Jerusalem. And he brings some uh, exiles or, as prisoners back into Babylon. But then he comes again 10 years later in 587 and he destroys the temple and he, he finishes the job. And he brings the remaining exiles as prisoners back into Babylon uh, where they stay for 70 years. Okay, uh, After that 70 year period, that's when the Persian king Cyrus, who has conquered Babylon, he grants the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and to keep it as a city state. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, going to church history, uh, in the blue time period, uh, you have the French Revolution is the, the ending of the sovereignty of the, the French kings. And then also the rise of Napoleon is a, a Nabucodonosor. But we're going to talk about those events in a, in a later episode because there's just too much detail there. But I do want to focus on the, the papal states. Um, so in 1870, in the same blue time period, you have... Um, the, the Freemasonic King Victor Emmanuel II, he's a, the king of a little region in, of, called Savoy in northern northwestern Italy. He wants to unite all of Italy under his rule, but the papal states are in the way. Uh, the papal states were given to the church in, in 756 by Charlemagne's father Pepin, and the church held them for over a thousand years, and it was, their, it was the Holy See's land to directly administer and govern. So the, the pope was the king of the papal states. He was sovereign there. And they could generate some sustenance. They could, they could provide for their own needs, their own functioning of the Holy See from their own lands. They didn't have to depend on a middle-aged king for that, which would, which would um, 
compromise their sovereignty, right? There'd be more pressure on the Pope to do things or say things if he was dependent on a foreign king for sustenance. So the Papal States were very important for that reason. In 1860, the Freemasons came and took two-thirds of the Papal States, actually 1859, 1860, and then 10 years later, they came and finished the job and took the remaining one-third of the Papal States. So, so compare that to King Nabucodonosor, who came in two separate occasions, both 10, year, uh, 10 years apart from each other, just like how the Freemasons did the same thing with the Papal States, um, two separate occasions, 10 years apart from each other. Right? The, the Jews were brought into Babylon as exiles, effectively as prisoners, just like how after the confiscation of the Papal States, the, the popes, they called themselves prisoners in the Vatican out of protest. So, so in both instances, God's people are now prisoners, and they have no land in both instances, right? The, the time period between 1859 and, and 1929, when the Lateran Treaty was signed, was 70 years. There's a 70-year period there. If you, you can do the math. If you arrange the, those dates that way, you get 70 years, uh, just like how the Jews were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, okay? So there's the, there's the stage. Oh, let me also mention this, is that the Jews were brought to Babylon in the Old Testament, and Babylon was a place where there was pagan laws. There was a, a multiple. Uh, there were multiple religions present. It was a cacophony of of impurity and immorality in Babylon. But um, uh, in church history, Babylon was brought to the church. And what I mean by that is that the popes, the, the Holy See, ruled over the papal states with Catholic laws. So you couldn't have Protestant churches or Jew Jewish synagogues. There were no houses of immorality. But that all changed in 1870 when the Freemasons took control. And they allowed all of those things now to be brought to Rome. So Rome became a new Babylon. Um, and then the popes were submerged in that environment. Um, well, the Catholics were, at least in Rome. Okay, good. Now, that brings us to the Lateran Treaty. Now, the Persian king Cyrus granted the Jews to go back, like I said, to Jerusalem and keep it as an effective city-state because Jerusalem was part now of the Persian Empire and was subject to the Persian king. But inside of that Persian Empire... Jerusalem was a little island of Jewish law and, and um, of, um, of their old, of the Mosaic law. They could practice and, and, and maintain their religion only inside of Jerusalem. So it was a little island, a little city-state they, they had. Um, and um, in church history, the, the Lateran Treaty establishes, in 1929, it, it establishes Vatican City for the first time. Um, you have now the city-state of Vatican City. And all of the same things that happened in Jerusalem happened in parallel in Vatican City. And that's what we're going to talk about here. Okay. There are, I've identified four, uh, I guess, major themes of parallel between the city-state of Jerusalem and the city-state of Vatican City. Okay. Uh, so the first one, let's do the first one. And that is the ability to teach uh, the laws of God inside of the confines of that city-state. Number two is going to be um, that both the Lateran Treaty and Cyrus, they give money to go back and to rebuild. So there's the, 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 the donation of money. And the third is the mandate that, in both instances, they're mandated to pray for the king. Get into that. And then the fourth one is that their relationship with the king is established and they have to, they owe allegiance to the king and they have to kind of pledge non-interference in international affairs, right? They, they've relinquished their sovereignty outside of the city-state. Okay, so they, uh, we'll, we'll get into that as well. All right, so um, I want to keep this under 20 minutes, so I have to brush through these things relatively quickly. Okay, first one. All right. 
I'm going to read first the quote from the book of Esdras that establishes that the king of Persia mandates that the Jews go back and live by their own laws. Okay, and this is the king now talking to Esdras. And thou, Esdras, according to the wisdom of thy God, which is in thy hand, appoint judges and magistrates that may judge all the people that is beyond the river, that is, for them who know the law of thy God, yea, and the ignorant teach ye freely. And whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king diligently, judgment shall be executed upon him, either unto death or unto banishment or the confiscation of goods, or at least in prison. Okay, so there's the king mandating Jewish law in Jerusalem. And then in the latter entreaty, there's three, I've identified three instances of this. The first one is Article 34 that adopts canon law as the marriage laws for Italy. So Article 34 being desirous of restoring to the institution of marriage, which is the basis of the family, that dignity is in keeping with the Catholic traditions of the Italian people. The Italian state recognizes the sacrament of marriage as legal for civil purposes when administered under canon law. So it's, it's actually establishing canon law as the basis for recognizing marriage laws in Italy. That's number two is the um, mandatory Catholic education in public schools in Italy. The Lateran Treaty, I guess I can't read all these because time's not um, going to permit it, but um, um, I'll put the quote on the screen there. And here I'll just read the, the one pertinent sentence. Um, Be in future extended to all two and developed in secondary schools according to the program to be settled down between the Holy See and the state. So there's the, um, the Lateran Treaty establishing Catholic education in Italy, in public schools to boot. And then thirdly, the um, Lateran Treaty recognizes the feast days of the church. So that's a, that's a state recognition of Italian or of Catholic feast days. And there, there's some of the feast days on the screen there. All right, number two, let's move on now. Uh, money to build and to sustain. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Esdras, the king, uh, I guess I have to read this, um, and let the and let that temple of God be built by the governor of the Jews and by their ancients, that they may build the house of God in its place. I also have commanded what thou hast done, what must be done by those ancients of the Jews, that the house of God may be built. To wit, that the king's chest, there's his money, that is of the tribute that is paid out of the country beyond the river, the charges be diligently given to, the, to those men, lest the work be hindered. So the king is, is um, financing the Jews to go back and build their temple and to live by their own laws again in Jerusalem as a city-state. <laughs> okay, And in, in the, the Lateran Treaty, I'm just going to highlight here, um, there's two things that happen. I don't think I have... Yeah, the, the, the first is that the Italian government, upon signing the Lateran Treaty, will give the Holy See 750 million Italian lira as a lump sum payment. And also there's an, an annuity, a yearly payment that's also made to the Holy See as well. So here you have, um, in both cases, money is going from the king to God's people. Okay. Number three, pray for the king. Okay. In the Old Testament, I'm going to read from the book of Esdras. And let them offer oblations to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king, King Cyrus, and all his children. And then also, um, this is not from the Bible, but this is from Josephus, who is a first century Jewish historian. He wasn't, he wasn't Catholic. He was a, a, a Jew who rejected Christ. But nonetheless, he writes, he wrote down the history of the Jews. And in that, he says this, the priests shall also offer these sacrifices according to the law of Moses in Jerusalem. 
And when they offer them, they shall pray to God for the representative of the king and of his family that the king of Persia may continue. So there is Josephus's own recording of what happened, you know, much prior to his life. He, he, he lived way after this happened, but he was recording also his recognition that, that um, King Cyrus um, commanded that the Jews pray for him specifically in the temple sacrifice in Jerusalem. Now, now watch this. Okay. This is the Lateran Treaty. So I can find it here. Okay. This is the Lateran Treaty in um, Article 12 of the Concordat of the Lateran Treaty. It states that um, on Sundays and days of obligation, the priest celebrating the chapter mass shall in all churches possessing a chapter chant a prayer for the prosperity of the king of Italy and the Italian state according to the ritual, according to the usual rules of the holy liturgy. So the Lateran Treaty is mandating that Catholic priests pray for the Italian king and the Italian state. Okay, um, okay number, let's see, what did I do? Number four, all right, allegiance and non-interference. Here we go. Um, now, um, there's no quote for this in the Old Testament. This is kind of common sense, but I'll just kind of spell it out. Um, because the Jews were given the, the they, they were given the, the license or the, the mandate to go back to Jerusalem and keep it as a city-state for themselves, a religious city-state, um, it was understood, uh, there might be a quote for this, but it's understood that the Jews, therefore, because of this favor that was given to them by the Persian king, they were to see it as a favor and not to, to kind of take on any kind of sense of reclaiming their, their, their past glory under King David or King Solomon. They were not allowed to go establish an army and to reconquer territories because they were, they were part of the Persian Empire and they were allowed, like I said, to go back and have a city-state. So because of that, they owed allegiance to the Persian king, and they would also have to pledge not to interfere with the international policies of the, of the, of the political processes of the Persian uh, empire. For instance, the enemies of the Persian empire were to be the enemies of the Jews. They couldn't go out and make separate policies contrary to the Persian king because he wouldn't have allowed that, right? So um, that's, that seems to be common sense. But in the Lateran Treaty, it's actually spelled out very clearly um, this is Article 24 of the Conciliation part of the Lateran Treaty. And this is this is interesting. Listen to this. I'm at 14 minutes here. Okay, I have a little bit more to cover. I think I'm getting it. In regard to the sovereignty appertaining to, to it, also in international matters, the Holy See declares that it desires to take and shall take no part in any temporal rivalries between other states, nor in any international congress called to settle such matters, save and accept in the event of such parties making a mutual appeal to the Pacific mission of the Holy See, the latter reserving in any right, in, in any event, the right of, exist, of exercising its moral and spiritual power. The Vatican City shall, therefore, be invariably and in every event considered a neutral and inviolable territory. So the, the Vatican had, to, the Holy See had to promise that it would not stick its nose into any international affairs um, and it had to keep keep itself only in regards to spiritual matters. It says um, only oh, though if both parties made a specific um, request for the Holy See to get involved, but both parties had to do it. So in, in essence, the the Vatican, uh, the Italian state was saying, keep your nose out of um, international politics. Just mind your own business in in uh, in, the, in Vatican City, um, just like the Jews would have had to have done in the Persian Empire. Okay, so those are all fantastic um, and um, very poignant parallels, I think. All right, now let's see here. I have a couple other things to cover here. Um, prior to the Lateran Treaty, by one year actually, 
Pope Pius XI wrote the encyclical Mortalium Animos, which was an encyclical that was condemning the ecumenical, the budding and, and blossoming ecumenical movement in, um, in Europe and in, in America as well, I'm, I'm presuming. Um, and so the ecumenical movement um, started around this time in the, in the late, in the early 1900s because the world was growing increasingly secular and the different sects and denominations of Protestantism and the schismatic sects like the, uh, the, uh, the Eastern Rites, um, they previously would have seen themselves as, as uh, rivals and as, as religious enemies. But because of the atheistic and secular influences growing in, in, in the world, they, they came this, to have seen themselves as some kind of like comrades. They, they we're all religious people. Let's come together and we'll promote religion as a general thing and um, we'll call ourselves the ecumenical movement. So Pope Pius XI condemned this in Mortalium Animos, and he said here, I'm going to quote from his um, encyclical, So, vener vener venerable brethren, it is clear why this apostolic see has never allowed its subjects to take part in the assemblies of non-Catholics, for the union of Christians can only be promoted by promoting the return to the one true Catholic Church of Christ of those who are separated from it, for in the past they have unhappily left it. So he's responding to the ecumenical movement because they wanted the Catholic Church to take, to take part in the ecumenical movement. The argument was we all worship the same God. So why can't the Catholic Church come along with the rest of us and we'll all promote the worship of God together? And of course, of course, Pope Pius XI said, no, um, we are the true church. You have to join us and that's it. You have to become Catholic, right? Um, now, in the books of Esdras, at the same time that the Jews are going back to Jerusalem to rebuild their city, there existed in, in the land the Samaritans. The Samaritans, if you remember, were a mix-up hodgepodge of all the different northern tribes who left during the time of Jeroboam. And over time, they their the religion got perverted so much that they kind of all kind of melted and mushed together into one blob of like uh, of Samaritanish um, quasi-Israeli Israeli religion resembling kind of people. And they approached the Jews and they saw the Jews rebuilding their temple. And the Samaritans said, hey, we all worship the same God. Can we help you rebuild your temple? So that's akin to the ecumenical movement coming to Pope Pius XI and saying, hey, we all worship the same God. Come in, can we just join you? We're all joined together into one group. And so the response, though, was the same that Pope Pius XI gave, the Old Testament response. It says this. I'm going to be a little over my time, but um, this is really good. So I'm going to read this. Okay. Now the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity were rebuilding the temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. And they came to Zerubbabel and the chief of the fathers and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. Behold, we have sacrificed to him since the days of Asor Haddon, king of Assyria, who brought us hither. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us to build, the house, to build a house to our God, but we ourselves alone will build to the Lord our God, as Cyrus the king of the Persians hath commanded us. So there you have the rejection of the Old Testament ecumenical movement, right? That's, that's awesome. There's, there's more to it than that, but I'm running out of time. So I'm just going to go on to this last part. And I'm going to have to really fly through this last part. Um, so this is going to be sad, but I'm going to try. Okay. Um, Okay, there were there were three thrusts to the book of Ezra. There was uh, the return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. There was a return to Jerusalem to rebuild the religion, so to speak, to teach Jewish laws and to rebuild the religion of the people, you know, metaphorically speaking. And the third was to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem to keep it safe from the Samaritans, who now were aggressive and wanted to destroy 
um, the Israelites, um, or the Jews, right? Um, and here's here's an analogy between church and history in the Old Testament. Again, let me just kind of bear this out. Um, the Samaritans, when they got rejected by Zerubbabel and told that they, they could not help rebuild the temple, they were no longer friendly to the Jews and they became enemies of the Jews. And they started attacking the Jews because they resented the fact that the Jews would have a temple to themselves um, and, they, and they didn't. They'd had, they didn't have that special treatment like the, Jew, the Jews were getting. Okay. In church history, the ecumenical movement first, first, first approached the church um, and were rejected by Pope Pius XI. After that, the, the Protestants and the, the ecumenical movement, they were upset because the Lateran Treaty was going to give a very privileged um, place to the, to the Catholic Church in, 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 in the international world. The Protestants did not, did not have an equivalent of Vatican City, where they had a sovereign city-state like the Vatican would have. So they also were resentful of the Lateran Treaty, just like the Samaritans were resentful of Cyrus granting the Jews to go back to uh, Jerusalem. Now, let me end this podcast with this last fact. Okay, uh, after the period of Esdras, after the books of Esdras in the Old Testament, where the Jews go back to Jerusalem and keep it as a city-state, and after Nehemiah rebuilds the walls, the next major period of Old Testament history starts with the books of the Maccabees. And that is the black time period, which we call temple takeover, where the Jews have their temple um, taken over by the pagan king Antiochus, and he changes the religion from inside the temple, erects a second altar, mandates the abomination of desolation, and outlaws the traditional Jewish sacrifice, etc., etc. Now, in church history, the next major event following the Lateran Treaty and following World War II, the end of World War II, is the is uh, Vatican II, where you have all the parallels for the Maccabees, and that, of course, will be a topic of a future podcast. So, God bless you all. Um, glory be to God for causing these amazing prefigurements of church history, and Ave Maria.